Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, um, it's finally here. Yeah, Christmas. <laughs> Christmas, uh, you know, Black Friday Black shopping. Friday, yeah, yeah, we've we've had uh, Thanksgiving, right? Right, right, right. But besides that, you know, what I'm talking about I don't, is I have no idea. <laughs> is there I'm a about the Clemson Carolina game? I mean, the rivalry <laughs> games, okay? Not just Clemson. We're talking about Georgia, Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, they're all happening. Ohio tomorrow, State, man. Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some great games out there, and you, you know, I'm not saying anything. I am a Clemson fan, but you, hey, anything can happen. We know that. You realize the uh, women's basketball teams. South Carolina just trounced the Clemson team. I think I did see that, actually. <laughs> they actually have a very good team. But, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's going to turn out real well for Georgia Tech or Carolina and Mar. It's, uh Point spreads are in the mid-20s. I mean, you know, Georgia yeah, and Clemson looking Still, anything looking can strong, happen. Man. You guys got nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, they're going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at us, yeah. you know. And so it's going to be an interesting game. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll <laughs> report back on it maybe next week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. But Godspeed, it would be an incredible year if y'all did upset us. I mean, my goodness, it would be like the only team in 40 years that's upset two top five teams with a losing, with record. A losing record. Yeah, <laughs> I read that somewhere this yeah, week, by the way. It was pretty interesting. But anyway, but besides that, you know, we do – talking about winners and losers, um, you know, there's been a quiet shift in the stock market here in the past – few months mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yep. uh it's pretty exciting we're going to talk about that um yeah there's been a big shift in in the asset classes that have been leading and kind of the trends in the stock market so we're going to dig into that good article here and uh just an insightful uh trend that we're going to point out yeah we're going to follow that up with a discussion of college majors and uh, there was a study that was recently done about um you know folks going into uh, certain disciplines and whether or not they were happy or not and um, you know, we, we have a lot of passion around this. We have a, a great um, uh, link on our website, um, moneymd.net, that looks at um, college majors, and uh, it looks at the unemployment rate, it looks at the graduate degree uh, percentage, um, you know, median career and so forth, uh, salary. And so we're going to look at the, the, the top five and the um, the worst five uh, majors per the survey. Um, so Yeah, that's going to be pretty interesting. I was just talking to somebody this morning about that very issue. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's a great topic. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 27 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website as well, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen directly from your computer or you know, download it from iTunes. And uh, as you're out there on the jog after Thanksgiving, you can listen to The Money Doctors. Um, also, a Facebook page. We've got uh, our own uh, Sarah. Uh, Hensley is going to be um, doing the uh, the prescription of the week this week, so go check that out. And she's always very she's entertaining. funny. Yep, very entertaining. Yep, you can reach us by email. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, and this has to do with college uh, loans and um, you know how long you can finish college. And this is from the College Board, and about forty percent of college. 
uh, students that started in the uh, fall of 2015 actually completed their degree within four years. Ouch, so less than half. Yeah, less than half. So 60% are taking at least five years to do it. Um, and that just increases the cost. I mean, the average cost between exactly. Carolina, Clemson, and Georgia is twenty to 25000 a year. And you, put, you, know, you tack on another year to that or two. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's a big yeah, number. That's expensive. Yeah. I just had a meeting with somebody this week, you know, and their daughter had, you know, upwards of $200,000 in student loans and, uh, you know, and still had, you know, a year and a half to go. And so, I mean, just saying, it, dragging it out, you know, extra years adds a lot to the cost and to the loans and to the, you know, length of time it's going to take to pay sure, it back. Sure. Um, if you're doing loans. And so you just need to take all that in consideration. I think the way to fix that a lot, Josh, uh, John, is just to go and take AP credits in high school, mm-hmm. you know, get your AP credits. Um, also go local, maybe, you know, get some advanced placement, you know, credits from taking local uh, courses at a local, you know, college. Um, just got to do everything you can to kind of make sure that you can get out of there in four years. Yeah, that's right. So Great uh, fact of the week. All right, that leads up here to our first topic, and that is the quiet shift in the stock market. It has been quiet. It has, because you don't hear anything about this. But, uh, you know, we say all the time how the stock market, John, is very unpredictable. Well, asset classes are also unpredictable. And we've seen a remarkable shift in the asset classes over the last three months um, that's gone mostly unnoticed in the financial press. Um, and what we're talking about is which asset classes that are leading the market with the highest returns. There has been quite a change in the asset classes that are leading over the last three months. Um, and I've noticed the financial media has gone, has largely just ignored it. Yep. Um, and I think there there might be because uh, they have a hard time explaining it. <clears throat> you know, again, it goes to illustrate how unpredictable markets and asset classes are. But what we're referring to is... Um, large stocks versus small stocks, for instance, and uh, value stocks versus growth stocks. First, let me just define a little bit about what we mean by those asset class breakdowns. I mean, large stocks are multi-billion dollar companies, sometimes hundreds of millions of billions of dollars, like Apple, Ford, Coca-Cola. You know, then there are small stocks, which are still publicly traded companies that are worth a lot. They're worth like a half to two billion dollars, but they're very small compared to these large multinational companies. So um, so that's the large versus small breakdown. And then there is growth companies uh, versus value. And so growth companies tend to be stocks that have done really well recently and are now very expensive compared to the value stocks which have underperformed recently and are now an attractively low price. Um, For instance, Amazon would certainly be a growth stock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's trading at a price-to-earnings ratio of like 79 today, which is remarkable. I mean, that's very expensive. And you compare that to the Citigroup, you know, um, bank stock, which is trading in a PE of only 10 today. Yeah, and the historical average is probably, what, 17, 16, 17, 18 right. in that range. Right. So 79 is off the charts. It I mean, is they're, off the they're, charts. They're basically pricing in growth per- in the future. Perfection. You yes. Know, they got to just perform perfect in the future to meet those expectations. That's right. And, you know, history shows that small stocks and value stocks have have returned more than large stocks and growth stocks over time. Now, 
Obviously, past performance does not guarantee future results, but that's what we see historically, and that's um, it really hasn't been true the last couple of years. We've seen large growth um, stocks. They've really led the market for the past two years by more than double, so it's really been an unusual period when you compare it versus history. And um, so, But now we see small in value has taken the lead over the last couple of months, and they've returned you know a lot more than large growth stocks. And you know it's a very interesting turn of events, which has a lot of analysts scratching their heads However, it's really just you know a return to the norm uh, from a history standpoint after a long departure. So, uh, you know, it could be the beginning. No one knows, obviously, but um, historically, that's those those have been good places to be. Yeah, it's an interesting development, you know. And so, here are some of the details from an article um, that I just pulled up here recently from CNBC. Um, they say the Russell 2000, which tracks small cap stocks, has dropped more than nine percent over the past year. As of the middle of October, um, while the S&P 500, which is the large cap index, is up slightly over that period of time. So that's a big difference in Mm -hmm. just one year, 10 percent difference. Um, And that gap has brought small cap valuations to their most attractive levels in years relative to large stocks. Um, And that's presented investors with a big buying opportunity kind of for the long haul um, if it pans out to, to continue to reverse like this. Small cap stocks also tend to outperform large stocks whenever the Fed cuts rates, according to this article. Um, so on top of that, small companies are generally uh, less less affected by the global trade uh, conditions like we've seen with these tariffs, um, given the fact their business are more domestically driven than large cap companies. Yeah, and so one analyst uh, basically says, you know, valuations have very limited short-term predictive power but they do matter over the long term. And he said the the relative or she said the relative P.E. today suggests that uh, small caps should lead large caps over the next decade. Again, no one knows. But That's right. just looking back at the valuations and historically what that what that means, valuations for small cap stocks are at their most attractive levels since June of 2003 relative to, to large caps. And uh, historically, small caps have outperformed large caps by an average uh, over 6% uh, the following year when there's such a, uh, a wide gap between the valuations. Um, and so this is just historical data, but it is, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and they point out this period uh, back um, a while ago when you had this gap where the Russell 2000 really killed the S&P 500 in terms of returns between June of 2003 and June of 2004. Um, at that time, small cap index had surged nearly 30 percent, while the S&P 500 climbed only 16 percent, so almost double. Um, and small caps, they do tend to carry more risk, of course, um, but they they should over time reward investors for taking risk, um, you know, meaning that they normally outperform over long periods of time. And small caps have something else going for them. I mean, the Fed is currently in the easing mode. They've lowered interest rates now three times here in recent months. And, um, you know, small caps, as they point out, historically do better when they're in when the central bank is lowering rates. Um, small caps average a 12 month return of 27 percent, uh, 20 over 27 percent after the Fed goes through this easing cycle, <clears throat> according to this analyst. And large caps, meanwhile, average a gain of only 15 percent in that period of time. So. You know, there's a huge difference, huge, huge advantage to small cap stocks um, historically whenever the Fed goes through this easing cycle. 
Small caps also outperform large caps in the three to six months following the first rate cut, which we, in fact, have seen over the last few mm-hmm, months. Mm-hmm. Um, so lower rates, you know, are boosting um, housing, and that's a very large portion of small cap earnings, and more so than large caps, according to this analyst. And um, also, that you know, 30% of small cap earnings comes from housing, he says. So, you know, meanwhile, only about 12% of earnings for large cap stocks comes from the housing sector. So those are just some of the reasons they point out. Yeah, another reason may be that small caps um, do pretty well when there's a trade war, <laughs> which we've been going through. Uh, certainly um, over over time. And obviously the, the China-U.S. Uh, trade war, there's some movement on that. But the, the world's largest economies have slapped uh, tariffs on billions of dollars worth of goods over the past year. And that's certainly stoked fears around corporate earnings growth, especially for large cap companies. Uh, large cap companies, um, they have greater earnings and revenue exposure to overseas markets and uh, certainly are more vulnerable to tight trade conditions. So small caps, on the other hand, really get their business within the U.S. and they're less susceptible to uh, an ongoing trade war. So, you know, that's just another kind of uh, item historically that's made a difference. Absolutely. Of course, you know, as we just pointed out, I mean, investing in small stocks comes with higher risk. I mean, for starters, small stocks tend to be more volatile and unpredictable than large cap stocks. Um, The Russell 2000, which is a small cap index, has posted 65 moves up and down more than 1% this year, and that's nearly double what the S&P 500 has done, which is the large cap index. So risk-wise, you know, you have to be a bit more careful. You have to diversify and recognize that that you're going to have more volatility with that part of your portfolio. Um, And you have to understand that, you know, companies and their competitive environments that they're in are going to dictate, you know, higher risk. Um, But small cap stocks also could take a bigger hit than than large cap stocks if the economy, you know, dips into a recession. Um, When you look at uh, hard U.S. economic data, including unemployment rates, retail sales, they indicate that the economy, um, you know, is soft at, you know, here recently. Um, Manufacturing has become a little bit soft. Um, So there's always that question of a slowdown, and, you know, that could hurt small cap stocks more. But, you know, currently looks like we've skirted some of that. Yeah. And also U.S. manufacturing activity uh, contracted to its lowest level in uh, more than a decade uh, recently. And that's according to the Institute for Supply Management. And um, that group also said last week the U.S. services sector had uh, grown at the slowest pace in more than three years. So, um, you know, there's a near record number of consumers um, you know, in a survey that they were worried about the trade war. So we still hear the trade war is, you know, continuing. I think it's impacting folks that I've talked to out in business, um, supply chains and, you know, investing right. capital because they're just not sure what's going to happen. But uh, another analyst basically says, hey, you know, small caps, they do tend to carry more risk, but um, they should, you know, over time reward investors for taking that risk. And um, so hopefully we'll we'll see them outperform over long periods of time like we've seen historically. Yeah, fortunately, over the last month, you know, the uh, trade war issue has has quieted down a little bit with this possibility of a kind of interim deal. And, um, you know, the markets responded real positively to that. And and uh, the Fed has stopped lowering interest rates because they obviously believe that the economy has has skirted a recession and, and, and may be, uh, you know, kind of on the rebound. So. We'll see where this heads. But the point here, John, is that you really can't time these shifts in asset class performance. I mean, we have to remain patiently diversified in a portfolio that takes advantage of these long-term trends 
in small stocks, value stocks, and profitability stocks, as we talk about so often on this show. Um, and we have to resist the urge to jump on the latest bandwagon of what has done well recently. You know, sure, it's been a little painful to see the S&P 500 and the Dow kind of lead the markets over the past couple of years while we're remaining diversified. But those trends are always short-lived, very unpredictable. I'm always amazed, too, at how quickly they change and how strong it can change, like mm -hmm. we've seen over the last few months. Um, so it looks like we, we could be back, you know, on the long-term trend of small and value stocks leading the market um, with an interesting end of the year, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, Nobody you just knows. never know. Nobody knows, but either way, that's um, why you diversify. That's why you diversify, exactly. <laughs> but either way, markets look to be on a nice track for the fourth quarter. So here's hoping that continues. And uh, that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with uh, gifts for Christmas. So I want to give my grandkids uh, some some money for Christmas. What type of account should I use? And, um, you know, the, the the account with the most control would be a, like a brokerage account that it's in the it'd yep. be in your name and the grandparents' name. And you could put the grandkids as a beneficiary on there and it keeps sure. it very simple and when you pass away it goes to the grandkids uh, they don't have to know about it you can tell them about it but uh, there's some other options as well yeah i mean another option would be if they're working you know i love this idea if they're working they have earned income you can put money in a roth ira for them yep. i mean that's a great jump start to the retirement savings they still have access to it um, it's tax-free they can get the earnings or the, the contributions back um, anytime, but the earnings have to stay in there until they're 59 and a half. Um, so it's a retirement account, but it's totally tax-free, and that might get them you know, excited about saving for retirement. So I love that. And, of course, there's always the 529 plan option of putting money in there for college. Um, so there's several good options for, you know, giving money to your grandkids. Um, so, you know, those, those are a few for starters. Yeah, that's right. There you go. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is um, – Five college majors that students should think you know, about. Think about. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't mean you don't go into these, but um, just understand what you're getting into. And um, this comes from uh, CNBC, Jessica uh, Dickler, who's the uh, the author in a recent article. And um, yeah, I, I think we do agree, Steve. Generally, uh, undergraduate undergraduate degree is um, usually worth it, right? Uh, bachelor degree sure. holders earn <clears throat> about eighty four percent more than those with just a high school diploma. Now, there's also, you know, two-year degrees and, and tech degrees and so forth, more specialized that sure. you know, are good options as well. So you don't have to get a four-year degree. But not all majors are, are created the same. And uh, ZipRecruiter did some research on this. And we certainly see tuition costs soaring. And uh, more families and their students are asking themselves if college is still worth it. And you know, some experts say the value of a bachelor degree is fading. Um, starting salaries for new college graduates have grown less than 1% over the last two years, remaining at around $50,000. So not a lot. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and what's worse, though, is, you know, one in five graduates are working in a job that doesn't even require a college degree. Um but I will say, you know, I mean, unlike the, the, the gentleman I talked to this morning who, who kind of felt like college degrees are, are worthless because he didn't have one and he was successful, um, you know, it, it is very important. I, I do love the idea of getting a tech degree if you're not if – if the student's not cut out for college um, per se, you know, at a major university. I mean, a great, you know, trade degree um, from a tech school, I think, in welding or – you know, plumbing or something like that is it can be a, a, a terrific career, mm -hmm. you know, and you can do very, very well with that. Um, 
having said that, <clears throat> you know, a college does prepare you for a lot of things in life. And uh, so, yeah, you definitely want to be careful, though. Yeah, and, and Georgetown University uh, did a, a study, and they basically came back and said the same thing. You know, a diploma is almost always worthwhile. Um, and uh, like we mentioned, uh, bachelor degree holders earn about 84% more than someone with just a high school diploma. And the uh, higher the level of education attainment, attainment, typically the larger the payoff. So, uh, you know, but you got to go into it with open eyes. Yeah, when you break it down by the area of study, um, the difference really is striking in um, kind of the results of, of people and how much regret they feel in being in this, these different degrees. Um, students who pursued a major specifically in science, technology, engineering, or math, collectively known as the STEM stu- uh, disciplines, are projected to earn the most overall. Um, in addition to to STEM, uh, health and business majors are among the highest paying, leading to the average annual wages that are higher at the entry level and significantly greater over the course of the career compared to liberal arts and humanity degrees um, that this Georgetown Center study found. Yeah. yeah, and all in, the top paying college majors earn about $3 million more than the lowest paying majors over a lifetime. And of course, income certainly isn't the only consideration. You got to look at satisfaction, stress level, job opportunities, among other factors, and that's according to the the ZipRecruiter study. Um, but they found you know five majors that um, college students regretted um, you know taking, and we're just gonna we're gonna list them here, <clears throat> and we're not saying people shouldn't go into these, but English was one of them because there was limited job opportunities, uh, biology. Um, because it was fi- hard to find a, d- a job without an advanced degree. Okay. Education, which is kind of surprising, uh, low pay and job satisfaction, but that, that's got to be one of the more popular Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most flexible degrees yeah. you can have. I mean, you can go work, you know, as a teacher just about anywhere. So, not sure. and they have some of the great best benefits, too, that we see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's 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 just surprising. Yeah. Surprising and disappointing to see yeah. on the list. Another one here on the list, social sciences and law is too general and uh, hard to find a job without further studies. And the last one here was communications, just too general, which probably means it's hard to find a job as well. So, you know, there's these are the top five that that uh, folks were like, yeah, you know, if I would have done something different, um, it may not have been in this this area. Yeah. And so what this gentleman says in the article is, you know, this generation is more than any other generation that came before it is looking for work with purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're more aware of what their peers are doing. And it creates a little bit of a keeping up with the Joneses effect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's right. Well, so, there, so. there is a balance to all this. I mean, we talked about income is a is one factor but there's you know like you like you mentioned the millennial group and quite frankly everybody should be looking at things other than just income there's you know work environment and um you know just uh, there's a lot of there's a host of factors i will say that um there's five majors that had the uh, that were least regretted going into and right. they're really around the stem computer science and mathematics was one uh business was another engineering was a third one. Health administration was a fourth one. And then health sciences and technologies was a fifth one. So that's right up the STEM, you know, uh, curriculum, if you will. And, um, you know, yeah. Steve, we have a great resource on our website. So if you go to moneymd.net and uh, there's financial resources and uh, then some tools. And then we, we posted this. It's been there up, up there for uh, almost a year now, but it's from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. 
and they have listed um, all the major majors. Uh, they on that they have the unemployment rate, the underemployment rate. So when you get a degree in that field, can you get a job? Uh, they have the median wage. Uh, salary. Um, they have the median wage for mid-career, and then they had the share uh, that have a graduate degree. And I'm just going to read one here for political science. It's only about a 4% unemployment rate, um, but there's a 52% underemployment rate, which hmm, means you're not that's working. Important. Yeah. yeah. You're not working in the political science field. Starting salary was about 42000 uh, Mid-career was about seventy five. And then the share with a graduate degree was about 52%. So my guess is if you're going to go in the political science arena, you need to plan on going to grad school. Yeah, that's that's probably right. Um, you know, and I see a lot of political science people that go on to get like a law degree, too. Mm, that's so it's true. probably a good jump start into some some professions. Yeah. So check out our website. Um, go out there and take a look at this. It's a great resource as you're talking to your kids or grandkids, um, you know, looking uh, certainly in high school, what they're interested in, what they're good at. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to go and pick out one of these items because of the salary. But you also want to go into it that. You know, if you're going to make 30000 coming out and you're going to have $100,000 of debt because you have to get a grad degree, that may not be the right choice. Right. I mean, the point is you just need to do some research. You need to factor all these things into your decision, you know, for your for you or your child or your, your grandchildren. Um, just help them make a wise decision um, because it is a it's a huge decision for a young person to make, you know, that's you know, 17 years old, 18 years old when they go to college and they're trying to make a decision yeah. about what they're going to do the rest of their life. And it's got to be based more on what do I like to do? You know, I mean, it's got to be based on information like, you know, what are my chances of getting a, a good job when mm -hmm. I get out, you know, and what are the, the, the biggest regrets for going into that job or that profession? You know, is it because it's hard to find a job? Is it because of like computer and mathematics, it's, it's the job's too stressful, mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, so you got to weigh all those factors in and just make a, a wise decision. Make sure you get an effective education, one that leads to a job that you have the best chance of being satisfied with. Yep. And you have some flexibility where you can change jobs if you need to. You're not locked into the first job you get because it took three years to, to land your job. That's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's very valuable information. It's a great article. And I will say uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, their organization, a guy named Anthony O'Neill, has written a book. It's called Debt-Free Degree, and it uh, talks about how you can get through college debt-free. And um, that's kind of a hard concept to think about, and you, know, you need a little bit of a runway to, to help out with that. But there are ways to do that. Absolutely. And uh, so it's a great resource as you go through that process. Great. All right. And that leads up here to our final topic, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, we're going to have our uh, one of our favorite uh, actors or actresses do this, uh, Sarah. And she went through a couple of months ago um, selling some items on uh, online. And so she was trying out some different tools. Let Go was one of them. I think she put it on uh, Craigslist and Facebook and eBay right. and so forth. And there were two items. Uh, one item she decided as she went through the process that she liked it too much. And she decided to keep it. So that oh, was really? that was kind of interesting. It was a sink, and it had some kind of value to 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 them as a family. So they decided not to sell it. Okay. Um, so the other item, they did sell it, and they ended up selling it on Craigslist. And um, it took them a little while to do that, but uh, they're taking that money and they're going to use it on a vacation. 
And uh, they also actually got more than what they expected. So they took the difference from what they expected and what they got, and they're giving it to their church. So cool, kind of cool. Cleaning out some clutter, getting some extra money, giving some away. It's kind of a kind of a neat story. So, so is that the prescription of the week to to clean out clean your out. attic, clean <clears throat> out the clutter, and yeah, yeah, sell some items, put some items on yeah, eBay. So Craigslist was good. eBay um, let go. Uh, Matthew's been. Buying and selling stuff on LetGo. It's an app. I've um, never heard of that. Yeah, it's pretty slick, um, pretty quick. Um, connects the the buyer and the seller um, online very very quickly. So yeah, go through and uh, clean out and you know donate and sell and you that's know that's a that's a great prescription a week. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I can't get to the first step, and that is the clean out. <laughs> yeah, you, you know? probably have too many golf clubs. Uh, yeah, I have too many of those and a few other things too. Yeah. And I just you know you just can't make yourself find the time. But hey, the holidays are coming up. That's right. I have a little more time. <laughs> I'm going to focus on some of that. I'm it's thinking about idea. selling. I have a, a putter that's near and dear to my heart. I'm thinking about letting it go. I think you should let that old <laughs> putter go. And get a new one. <laughs> there you go. It's about time. I think that help my golf game? I probably have an old one I could give you that's uh, <laughs> Much newer. Pretty, pretty new to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. right. All right, good deal. Well, that has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.